Become a positive influence in your world as you join us for Abounding Grace. God is wanting you to learn to trust him completely. Even though you can't see any possible solutions, you can't see a way out, and you're convinced that it's over, God wants to show you he is able to make a way when there is no way. God wants to show you he's not limited by man's resources or by your own limited capacities. He wants to show you that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that you can think or ask. And God wants you to learn the value of being his child. This is amazing grace. Hello again. Glad you could join us for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. When you go through a great trial, like we've been through recently, it's easy to lose focus. But that's the time we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. And today, Pastor Ed will show us how we can actually be a good influence at such times as well. God can use you right now in a powerful way. Let's see how as we turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 we're going to pick up there in verse 8 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Influencing Your World. And facing our fears is a very important step in remaining open and usable in the master's hands. Remember, we learned the difference between real fear, the gift that God has given to us in the emotion of fear, but also how it can become very irrational and how fear can steal from us all that God wants to accomplish in our lives by faith. And facing our fears is that important step in presenting ourselves to God, allowing fears and anxieties to paralyze us into inaction and to isolate us is always a sinful mistake. God made us for community. He made us to interrelate with one another. God has placed you in the body of Christ so that you might be a blessing to someone else that also someone might be a blessing to you. But he's also placed you in this world to interface with this world. Remember Jesus, when he was praying, and when he was praying in John 17, he said, hey, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them and that you protect them. And so it's God's will that his church remain in the world until he returns. We were made for one another. Jesus describes us as the salt and the light in the world today. You could say quite literally that we are the hands and feet and the mouths representing Jesus today. But it is too easy to get discouraged, to be overcome with irrational fears, to pick up false narratives and base our lives on something other than the truth of God's word. And it's too easy to be discouraged in the current situation that God has allowed in your life. It seems like the grass is always greener somewhere else, that it's always better somewhere other than where God has you right now. Someone else's life someone else's situation, or even looking back and go, man, I wish we could just turn the clock back a year and a half. It was so much better then. And then you begin to worry and you begin to fret and deal with anxiety and even start to make decisions based upon the fear of man and not the leading of the Holy Spirit. 
And to that I say, trust the Lord. That God has set you aside so that you might learn to trust him in every situation. Remember the sovereignty of God. That God has either allowed the situation in your life or he has sent the situation in your life or he's part of both. But don't allow situations to cloud you and blind you from the sovereignty of God. That he is in control. And God has not called us to isolation. He's not called us to be removed from this world. He's not called us to deal with our fears just so we can go on with life. But rather, he's called us to infiltration so that our lives will infiltrate a dark world and bring the hope of the gospel. And so when we deal with our fears, the question is, well, okay, now what? What are you going to do now? And I think that's a great question to ask. Now that you've come through a trial or now that you've gained greater strength or now you're in a new season of your life, now what? And I believe for us, God is wanting to remind us of our responsibility to influence this world through our faith in Jesus Christ. That we have influence. It's either good or bad, but we have influence. We have reputation as believers. It's either good or bad, but we have it. And it's especially needed in tough times because you know as well as I do, God loves to get people's attention through trials and through difficulties where they weren't thinking about God before, they weren't thinking about eternity before, but now all hell's breaking loose and they're asking questions like never before. But there are some questions that we can help them with, as we'll see in a moment. But for you personally, you need to narrow down your life, church. You really need to examine your own life and come to the same conclusion that Paul did in Philippians chapter 3. So that he comes to that conclusion and goes, look, this one thing I do. You need to know what that one thing is for you. Be laser focused. This is no time for us to be playing games. No time for us to co-opt the gospel with some cause or some attitude. No, the Lord wants us to be single-minded, to be single-focused which drops us into the letter here in 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter's writing to a group of hassled, scattered Christians under great persecution. They're losing their lives. They're being filleted alive. They're being put into hot cauldrons of boiling oil. They are being used to light the gardens of Caesar. The, the greatest pressure that the early church is feeling here, the audience that Peter is writing to, is government oppression in a way that none of us have ever experienced. You see, Nero has lost his mind, the Roman emperor of the day. He's lost his mind, and, and through his bad behavior, part of Rome is burning. And in order to sidestep his own personal responsibility, both to his overseers and also to the people, what does he do? He blames the Christians. He, he takes it out on the believers. He literally chases them to death and makes life hard for them, steals and takes all of their possessions. And it's to this group where times are tough, where the families are struggling and separated, where the situation is so serious even unto death that Peter writes. And up to chapter 3, verse 8, he has led us through the, the importance of understanding the faithfulness of God, the power of God, the love of God. And then he turns a corner in chapter 2 and he starts to talk about the necessity of mutual submission. I know that's not a popular topic today, but it should be because all society works well 
with mutual submission, including the church, including your marriage, including your relationship at your, with your employer or as an employer or as a boss. And from that, verse 8, he says, chapter 3, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, and be courteous. Let me read it to you from the New Living Translation. Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted, and keep a humble attitude. This is an expectation during difficult times. How much more is it needed during difficult times to maintain unity as believers? There is a distinction between those following Jesus and those that don't. We often refer to that, you could say in a very simple way, you have the church and you have the world. And there should be a very strong distinction and difference between the church and the world. And one of the differences that will speak to a watching world, one of the distinctions that will speak loud volumes and loudly to a watching world is the unity of the church. But let me just say, and I've mentioned this before, in the 21 years I've been a pastor here in Colorado, five or six years pastoring in California, I have never seen the church so divided than now. So opinionated, so far off from the gospel, even though they're using spiritual language, backbiting, complaining, murmuring. And I don't mean just about the little things, but church over years have been known to be arguers and fighters over non-essential things. What Bible version do you use? What songs do you sing? Why do you have a building? Why do you, use, why do you dress this way? Why? All of that stuff. But this is much deeper. I mean, if we didn't deal with it on the easier things, do you think we're going to be able to deal with it on the harder things? And so here's the fruit of division, where now it's this church against that church. And what about you guys? And you guys didn't take this position, and we take that position, and this is over here, and we've got to fight for this over here. And none of those are the gospel. And so as a church, we want to have a reputation where there's unity among us. Where Notice what happens when there's unity. This is things you can look for. Number one, there's going to be compassion. A community of believers that are filled with compassion. That's what he says. Be compassionate with one another, church. Compassion means to feel with or feel for the needs of others. So that, you know, when someone hurts, you hurt. When they struggle, you struggle. Compassion comes from a soft heart, like the new living. Sympathy. Empathy. That there's emotion in the church. It's not just dry doctrine. Doctrine moves a person to action. Not only that, but brotherly love. Notice, when there's unity, we're to love as brothers and sisters. We're to, as we've learned, love covers a multitude of sins. We're to ex extend the benefit of the doubt to one another. We're to handle our differences biblically and handle them properly. Not only that, but we're to have a tender heart. Notice he says in verse 8, be tender-hearted. When there's unity, there's a tender-heartedness about us. There's a sensitivity that is unknown in the world. Like the world shouldn't be more compassionate than the church. And the world shouldn't be filled with this phileo brotherly love more than the church. And the world shouldn't have a more tender heart than the church does. And then finally, to be courteous, but you can write next to that word humble. 
We're to be a humble people, not a prideful, arrogant people. At the first hint of oppression or decisions, many in the church cried out to fight and didn't take the place of humility. When racial tensions grip our, our nation, many people look down on others instead of looking up. Listen, when you are humble and you take the lower position, when you take the lower position, you can't look down on anyone. You look up to everyone. Humility places you in a position where you value people that were created in the image of God. That's the church. But when the church is in disunity, fighting each other, going at each other, they become loveless, hard-hearted, prideful, and arrogant. And the, and the world wants nothing to do with that. You want to know why? They already have it. That is the world. A doggy dog society. That you and I, we were called into a new relationship with God where our sins are forgiven. We're living eternally with God. The very nature of Jesus is inside of us. There must be, there needs to be, there has to be a difference. Especially in tough times. Especially when things are hard. And how do you know that you're living according to the gospel? Let me just give you a quick test. Whatever message you're carrying... Whatever message you're posting on social media, whatever email you're forwarding, listen, the gospel works everywhere, okay? When you have the real gospel, it is true for every tribe, tongue, nation on the, world, in, on the planet today. Like, so if you only have the gospel that surrounds Western culture, you don't have the full gospel, because the full gospel will save someone in the United States of America, but it'll also save someone in Egypt. It'll save someone in Nigeria. It will save someone in Australia. Because the gospel is for every tribe, tongue, and nation, not just our own little country. So that when you think of saving and you think of salvation, the gospel thinks of souls. Souls. And you can get caught up in things that sound like the gospel, maybe start with the gospel, but actually transcend what you think is the gospel. You know, the gospel, it started with the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, and it's been applicable all the way through every tribe, tongue, and nation. You know, there have been a lot of tongues, tribes, and nations that have come and gone. Even the nation, even the empire that was overseeing the believers at this time of Peter, the Roman Empire, they imploded and the gospel continued because the gospel supersedes some of the things that we think it is, church. And I wonder if some of you just need to go back on social media and ask for forgiveness for spreading something that isn't the gospel, that hasn't changed lives, that you're caught up in something that has no eternal value. And so the world looks at you and goes, y'all, just another one. Just another one, just another one. I mean, if people are going to be offended, let them be offended at the cross of Jesus Christ. The gospel is offensive. You don't need to be offensive. All you need to do is tell someone about their sin and the hope of Jesus and the forgiveness that's available by faith in him. Unity, church, unity. Unity is going to require us to humble ourselves and to ask God for his forgiveness. The only true way outside of sinful behavior is to repent. Repentance is the beginning of life and the newness of life. Notice verse 9 now. Not returning evil for evil 
or reviling for reviling. So let me just say, as a believer, people will do evil to you. Just understand that. You will experience evil. And I mean, in its most wicked core, you will experience evil. You will experience, let's, let's replace evil for a minute and other words. You will experience injustice. You will experience unfairness. You will experience things that you say, you know, this is just wrong. This is just wrong. And when you do, you don't return wrong for wrong. You don't return injustice for injustice. You don't return evil for evil. Or notice that next word, reviling. You're going to be called names. You're going to be attacked for who you are. You're going to have these ad hominem personal attacks to try to get you off your game. And when you are reviled, you don't return it with other name calling. It says, again, the New Living Translation, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That's what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. That's what it says in verse 9. On the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this. You were called to endure evil, and you were called to extend blessing. That's the church. That's why the church is different than the world. The world is, man, I'm going to get what I need. I'm going to get revenge. I'm going to get back at you. I'm going to make sure you hurt as much as I hurt. Not so much. Not so among the believers. We look to Jesus who suffered greatly on our behalf, who took our pain and suffering upon himself. And we don't return evil for evil. That's not the church. That's not our role in society. You don't influence the world when you live like the world. You might want to jot that down, church. You don't influence the world when you live like the world. They aren't interested. Notice verse 10. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Let him turn away, verse 11, from evil and do good. I mean, there's a conscious. When you're surrounded with evil, you're in a culture of evil, you've got to consciously choose to turn away from it and still do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, even in the midst of your trial. Get that. Even in the midst of your pain right now, what you're experiencing, the eyes of the Lord are upon you. And his ears are open to your prayers. And the face, though, notice, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That makes sense. We agree with that. That, that, that God, he resists evil. He doesn't want anything to do with it. But, but understand this. If you return evil for evil, now you are in that category and God's face is against you. You go, but Ed, I'm saved. I'm so yeah, but you are grieving the Holy Spirit and not enjoying. You're living in disobedience. And you're going to suffer the consequences of disobedience. For what? An opinion? For some passionate thought? Look, anytime we take the route of the gospel, God will bless that. And it will provoke a watching world. Because whether you realize it or not, the world is watching. You and me and us. And the world will watch long after this trial passes in any other trial. Any other difficulty. I don't foresee, just as a pastor, a fellow believer, I don't foresee things getting much easier. I see them becoming much more challenging. I see more challenges up ahead for us as a believer, for us as a church, for us in our homes and our families. But challenges are met by the power of God. Don't you believe in the power of God, church? Don't you believe that he is greater, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can think or ask? 
that God is working all things together for the good, for those that love him, those that are called according to his purpose, that this present trial doesn't compare to the eternal glory that God will reveal in us. I mean, God is faithful, church. We limit him when we forget how powerful he is. I mean, we don't limit him in the sense he's always going to be eternal God, but we limit our ability to enjoy and to access the power of God in our lives when we live like there is no God, when we live like he isn't sovereign, when we live like we don't trust him, when we're all fearful and we're all hiding, and then we're like, well, let's fight, let's fight, let's get everything back that's been taken away. How about this? How about you just humble yourself and let God use you in your current situation? He knows what he's doing and what he's allowed into your life. And it's the influence of the church that's lost when we get our eyes off the Lord, even for good things. You know, I taught my kids this. I actually learned this on an episode of Adventures in Odyssey once with our kids. And they did a great episode on it. And one of the things I taught them is that you can do the right thing the wrong way. Wow. You can do the wrong thing in the wrong way, but you can also do the right thing. You have the right motives, but you do it, you apply it wrong. You have the right goal, but you do it wrong and you blow the witness of the church. Uh, again, the, the world's not gonna like the church, not gonna hug the church, not gonna embrace the church, we know that. But we don't have to behave in such a way where we give them reason to no longer care about the influence of God on the earth today. I mean, of course, of course, the church and the message of the gospel is an affront to our culture. Of course, it was an affront to you and to me, but only so that it might get our attention and we can see our great need for salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. We can make it worse. You were called to this. Notice verse 13 now. He says, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? That's a great question. But it's kind of like, don't misunderstand it. Like, just because you've chosen to follow what is good, like, nobody's going to want to harm you anymore. That's not what he's saying. It's like Paul, when he wrote to the Romans, he says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Well, a lot of people can be against us. So that's not the point he's making. The point he's making is that when God is on your side, it's going to be okay. Like, if you choose to follow good, but Ed, it's so hard. And Ed, they're stealing our freedoms. And Ed, they're doing this. And Ed, they're making me do that. And Ed, Pastor, Pastor, like, okay, so when you choose to do what is good, how is that going to harm you? You've aligned yourself with God. Yeah, but Ed, they're still, yeah, they're still doing. And you can make it harder or you can make it easier by your choices. But it's actually not about us. When we were saved, we surrendered our, all our rights and privileges to God willingly and openly. So it's actually not about us. Notice he says in verse 14, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake. So you've chosen to do good. Most people won't want to harm you. You know, most people leave good people alone, but there will be people that are offended. They'll, they'll hurt you. They'll suffer for righteousness sake. Mark those words. If you suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. That is the blessed position of the believer when you and I suffer for righteousness' sake. Even if you do, you are blessed. And don't be afraid. I love how he ties fear in. That's why it really goes well with our study last time. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Just continue to be the church. 
We've been learning how to be an influence in our world for the glory of God and the good of others today on Abounding Grace. It's a message Pastor Ed Taylor has titled, Influencing Your World. Listen to our programs online at AboundingGraceRadio.com and through the Calvary Church app. And thank you for remembering Abounding Grace in your giving to the Lord. Every gift that comes in goes right to ministry. It plays an important role in helping us bring the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. And when you support the ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, we'll say thanks by sending you depression, looking up from the stubborn darkness. We realize depression is a very real and common struggle, even among Christians. And God has the help you need. Edward Welch thoughtfully looks into depression, offering real and lasting hope to those that struggle. To order it today, call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also go to calvaryco.store on the web, and there you can order our picks of the month. If you just like to make a donation to the ministry and are not interested in the book, you can donate safely and securely at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Join us next time for Abounding Grace when Pastor Ed Taylor talks more about influencing your world. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.